0: Chapter 4 of Philips Brooks by Mark Antony DeWolf Howe. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The call to Boston was something far more to Phillips Brooks than a mere call to a new parish. It was a summons home. Though Trinity Church was not the church of his boyhood, its parishioners might almost as well have been the families he had known at St. Paul's. For they represented practically the same element in Boston society. The individuals, however, could hardly have drawn him so strongly from congenial surroundings and wide opportunities in Philadelphia as the fact that Boston was the city of his birth. What this means to every Bostonian like Phillips Brooks, hardly any one but such a Bostonian can realize. If any proof were needed to show that his love for the place was something far beyond a mere sentimental feeling, it would be necessary only to look at such of his writings as a century of church growth in The Memorial History of Boston, his addresses at the 250th commemoration of the founding of the first church in Boston, and the similar celebration at the Boston Latin School at his historical sermon when the new trinity church was completed and at his many utterances with reference to harvard college they all reveal the mind of one who not only loved but knew his native city its past and its present on returning from one of his trips abroad he is said to have exclaimed there is nothing on earth so good as being a minister in the city of boston and very shortly before his death, according to the same reporter of his words, he said to one of his friends, What do you suppose I have been doing today? Why, just walking around Boston and looking at the streets and the people. Even Walt Whitman could not have taken a truer delight in his Manhattan. Yet the call to the new parish, like the earlier call to the one he was leaving, could not be accepted until it was urged upon him so strongly that nothing but acceptance was possible. One may well imagine that among the persistent Boston vestrymen who would not take no for an answer were some of those who had been present at the Harvard commemoration. The old sexton of Trinity Church, Boston, to which Phillips Brooks came in 1869, is remembered for consistently driving the poor into the galleries, and giving to rich visitors the vacant seats on the floor. If he did this, it was by a tacit or expressed permission of the authorities, and it is hardly necessary to say more of the condition of formalism into which the parish had been brought, even by rectors of so many good abilities as Bishop Eastburn's. Evidently, just such an one as Phillips Brooks was needed to bring a new spirit into the old gray square-towered church in Summer Street. The spirit which he brought to the parish, however, was soon seen to be too expansive for the old building. Before the end of 1870, a special meeting of the proprietors was called to consider the expediency of building in another part of the city. It was promptly decided to leave the old church, the legislature authorized the action, land was bought in the new Back Bay region, competitive designs for the building were invited, bodies were removed from tombs under the old structure, when the great fire of 1872 destroyed the building and left the parish no alternative but to carry out its well-formed plans. On the night of November 10, Phillips Brooks worked with a will at rescuing movable things, and was one of the very last to leave the doomed building. Mural tablets to Bishop Parker and Bishop Griswold were destroyed, but the old Bible was saved from the desk, and from the walls a tablet to the memory of Dr. Gardner it was as if a part of the past had been seized from the burning and carried on into the future it was indeed a large future for which the parish following at every point the guidance of its rector was preparing itself he it was who more than any one else saw the attendant possibilities henry hobson richardson the architect of the new church physically his fellow and personally his intimate friend found in mr brooks a sympathetic and large-minded collaborator from the very beginning the preacher impressed himself upon the building in which his words were most frequently to be heard and at the end it was found that his will set aside two thousand dollars from his somewhat narrow fortune toward the completion of the front of the church this has now been done and it were well for all who look upon the finished structure to realize how largely the living personality of phillips brooks concerned itself with every detail for the building from the preliminary drawings of the architect to the final interior decorations of his other friend mr john lafarge a man has no right the preacher once exclaimed in scorn to give to the tent of his parlor walls that anxiety of thought which belongs only to the justification of the ways of god to man but to the walls of trinity phillips brooks always keeping clear the distinction between means and ends could and did give of his most effective thinking the first pile for the new church was driven april twenty one eighteen seventy three the last stone in the tower was laid in July of 1876, and on February 9, 1877, the furnishing and interior decorations having been meanwhile accomplished, the church was consecrated. For this occasion, the preacher, by a special appropriateness, was the Reverend Dr. Venton, the friend of his boyhood and of the chief crises of his manhood. Thus stood with Phillips Brooks upon the new threshold of his broadening career, and gave him God speed into his great future. Before proceeding to see just how this future unfolded itself, we may well pause for a moment to look at a hasty, spontaneous picture drawn by one quite unprepared for the preaching he describes. The time of the sketch is in the period between the burning of the old church and the completion of the new, a time when Trinity Parish was using Huntington Hall in the Massachusetts Institute of Technology for its services. The hand which drew the picture was that of Principal John Tullock of St. Andrew's University in Scotland, traveling in America in 1874, and writing thus from Boston to his wife i have just heard the most remarkable sermon i have ever heard in my life i use the word in no american sense from mr phillips brooks an episcopal clergyman here equal to the best of frederick robertson's sermons with a vigor and force of thought which he has not always i have never heard preaching like it and you know how slow i am to praise preachers So much thought and so much life combined, such a reach of mind and such a depth of insight and soul. I was electrified. I could have got up and shouted. End of chapter 4